Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, we started a new series last weekend, and I know it's a holiday weekend, so you may not have been here uh, for the launch of a series called Empower. But I do want you to uh, know that, boy, I I really strongly encourage you because Jen Roth laid a foundation for the the conversation we're going to be having as we talk about empowering men and women uh, in the church, empowering men and women uh, as singles, empowering men and women uh, in in marriage, empowering men and women in culture. We're going to talk a lot about this, um, but you need to to watch her talk because not only will it help you understand the foundations that's been laid, but it will explain all this behind me. Um, and some of the terms that are up here because uh, they're not commonly used terms, uh, but they, they, they're important to know as we have this conversation uh, in, in, this, in this series. So, And Jen brought it last week. She did a great job. You're not going to want to miss that. I'm not going to repeat uh, that foundation that she's laid. I'm just going to sort of build on it and, and keep us moving forward as we talk about, uh, about how God has uniquely made us. And uh, let me just share a personal story with you. A lot of years ago, um, a bunch of pastors from this from our city were hanging out. We were just building relationship, having a great time as we did that, and uh, and we still have those those relationships. It's it's uh, it's really a beautiful thing. We really believe that the church in Salem and Kaiser needs to be united, and and that that is happening, and we're we're thrilled about that. But a lot of years ago, we were we were just hanging out, spending time, having fun. We were having one of those days, and uh, had a meal together, and we're driving home. And uh, one, of the, one of the pastors in, in, the, in, the, in the van or truck, I can't remember what we were driving in, there was a bunch of us there, and one of them said, hey, ask this question to me. And I could tell that, but just by the look on his face, that he was, he was trying to be careful. He said, hey, could, could I ask you a favor, Steve? Um, um, and there were some other same lines pastors in, in the truck as well. Can I ask you guys a favor? And, 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 and simply this, could you not tell people that we're hanging out with you yet? Can, can you, can you uh, just give us some time? Um, and boy, I, man, I just got very curious. I was like, uh, yeah, but why? And, uh, you know, it was kind of a pause in the car and people are looking at each other. And, and he said, well, I mean, you guys are the, the liberal pastors. And I was like, Wow, I've never thought of myself in that term before. Um, I just thought was a pastor, and so I, I, I'm oblivious. I'm totally oblivious, and I'm, and I'm asking, ask, so help me understand why I'm a liberal, and, um, and again, pregnant pause. Finally, one of the guys uh, who's on staff here looks at me and says, dude, it's because we have women pastors, and it's like, oh, uh, well, I'd never, I'd never thought, or thought in terms of liberal or conservative uh, in, in this conversation. And so that sparked some great conversation. By the way, we're still friends with all those guys, and we still love interacting with, with each other, and we, we think differently on, on this topic, yet we can engage in relationship. And, and, but that sparked something, because I, I was totally oblivious, and, um, and some of that comes from, I, I grew up in Hong Kong. I, I was born in Hong Kong. I grew up in Asia. My mom and dad were missionaries. They planted churches together, um, and there were women pastors and men pastors. There's women elders and, and men elders, and I, I just, that's just how it happened. And then I went to college in the U.S., and I went to church. And I remember being in church and looking around and going, where are the women? 
Um, we're, we're, we're the women leaders. And I, I quickly learned that there's a different perspective on women and, and men and, and the roles that they play in church. And I just want to just t- tell you right up front, first of all, I'll put my cards on the table. I have a personal bias simply from my own experience in growing up and being part of churches. Um, and I also want to say that when it comes to these words, complementarian, which real simplistically, listen to Jen's talk, but real simplistically, complementarian means that men and women are both made in the image of God. That, that, that's agreed on. But there are certain roles in the church that only men can serve in. An egalitarian perspective is uh, men and women are made in the image of God and that men and women, can, there's, they can serve in, in all roles. And that, there, now, there's, there's, there's differences all on the way here in this conversation. And I just also want to say that there are very good people on both sides of this argument. There are uh, there's smart people on both sides of this, of this, this conversation and this debate. So, but I want, you know, I'm going to be bringing it from probably a more egalitarian perspective simply because that's kind of, if you haven't noticed, that's kind of how we, um, we, we practice our theology here. I mean, you just, we just promoted Michelle um, to outreach pastor. Jennifer brought the first talk, so that would be a few clues that we're, we're more, on this, more on this side, right? But what I don't want to do is paint an us versus them kind of picture because that, that wouldn't be helpful. We want, to, we want to be able to have discourse and have passionate conversation on things that are important to us. But I also think we need a grid to help, under, help us understand how to have these conversations. Because sometimes we get very heated and we break relationship over things that really we shouldn't be breaking relationship over. So I'm, Gary Brashear from Western Seminary, I believe he's the first one to put this together. But he talked about things we die for, things we divide for, things we debate for, and things we decide for. Throw a line right in the middle there and just say the top two, those are, those, when you die for something or you're dividing for something in the church, you're talking about issues of orthodoxy, okay? We're talking about someone dying for their faith in Jesus Christ, as we've seen that's happened in the Middle East, um, especially when ISIS was in, in full-blown uh, power there. Um, things we divide for, this is where, where something is being taught that is, that is unorthodox. Or someone teaches that Jesus is not God's son. Or someone may be teaching that, no, actually, you can be saved by your works. That would be a complete violation of what Scripture teaches, and that is that's absolutely it's heresy. It's, uh, it's unorthodox. Actually, that, that kind of teaching inspired and prompted many of the epistles to be written. The things we debate for and the things we decide for, those are not orthodoxy issues. Those are orthopraxy issues. Let me explain. We have theology that's orthodox, but then we live out our theology and we apply it in our local church settings. And we, ha- we all have our traditions. Some of you grew up in the church. Some of you are very new to church and you're developing your own traditions. It ends up being normal to you and so much so that when you go into a different setting, like I did when I moved from Asia to America, you look at something and go, whoa, 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 this is not right. And it really isn't a not right conversation. It's a decide for. Here's an example on decide for. Some people grew up in a tradition where you had communion every weekend at church. Well, we've decided to do it once a month or once every five or six weeks. It's a, it's a decide for you know, kind of practice of theology. Uh, debate for might be uh, talking about things like Calvinism or Arminian thought. And some of you don't even know what those words are. And that, that's okay. But... Um, we have strong opinions on that, but that doesn't mean we, we, we should divide because that's debate for stuff. See, it's actually a beautiful thing when people have strong passions about topics and actually can stay in relationship with one another. 
And that's not modeled well in our culture. And it's an opportunity for us. So I just want to say up front that while I have my own perspective and why I'm going to present this perspective, I also don't want to in any way demean those who hold to a different point of view. And I think we can have a conversation that way. Right? Anything we have a conversation that way? Great. Three of you are with me. All right. All right. Cool. Now, uh, my friends, we're, we're going along, and, they're, and, they're, and again, we're still very good friends, and uh, we have very strong connections with churches in this community. But this prompts questions, right? Because Paul says some pretty, I, I think, confusing things. First Corinthians chapter 14, he says women should be silent in church. And, uh, but then you get to Acts chapter 2, and Luke is talking about a prophecy to Joel that, that the Spirit's going to come on men and women, and they will prophesy. And it's really hard for women, women to prophesy if they're supposed to be silent. Okay, so that, that's kind of, that's, that's a little bit confusing. Uh, we get to, uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 2 where it says, I don't allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Uh, but then we read the book of Acts and we discover that, um, by the way, in, at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, a uh, husband and wife. And, um, and the placement of the name is significant. We'll get to that in the weeks to come. But Priscilla is mentioned first and we know that Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos, a male, in Ephesus. So don't teach, women can't teach men, but we have, we have a woman teaching a man. Um, we've got uh, that men is the head of man, that there's this, that, that there's this idea that they're in charge, they have the position, but then we've got in Galatians chapter three, we've got there's no male or female. It's, you just wanna say, come on, Paul, help us out here, give us a little help here, because it just feels like it's so confusing. I mean, which is it? And I, I know that not every answer will, will, will come our way through this series, but I really want to, I don't want to avoid the, 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 the verses that are just so clear on this. And we're going to get to this right away in this, in this conversation. But we're going to speak to these passages. And I'm going to give you a perspective on them. And I, I don't think that there's confusion and discord. Actually, I think there's a thread of continuity through it all. That's my perspective. And I'm just going to give you that perspective and, um, and help you understand why we do things the way we, we do. Because we, we come under the word. And what we don't want to communicate is that, well, you know, some, some passages we kind of push the side because we like to do it our own way. No, we, we come under the word. And we want to be people of the word and the people of the spirit. So here's, we're just going to dive right in. Uh, here's here's the, one of the very first questions that pops up. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1. Um, you, the question's on the, on the screen. Since Eve was created as helper to Adam, is she subordinate to him? This comes from Genesis 1. Uh, verse 27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Men, you are made in the image of God. Women, you are made in the image of God. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Chapter 2, we get kind of another version of the creation story. Verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, I, I don't know what, what, what comes to your mind when you think of the word helper, but what this, that, this is what prompts this question. Steve, it says pretty clearly, Genesis chapter 2, Adam is here, Eve is created, uh, and she's a helper to him. And let me just flesh out a moment uh, just why it's important for us over here to, to, in this series to step into the classroom and unpack some of these words because we do need to put our student hat on. We do need to stay engaged because if we take words at face value, we may miss the point. Let me explain. I was born in Hong Kong, British colony. 
So I, I grew up dual citizenship. I was a citizen of the British colony, and I was also an citizen, American citizen. And we, we, Americans and Brits share a common language, English. Sometimes the words don't mean the same, though. When I first came to the U.S., and I went to a restaurant, and I found there's this breakfast called biscuits and gravy. I thought it was disgusting. I got the, what? Why would you do that? Now, as Americans, when you hear biscuits, this is what you picture, right? Biscuits. If you're a Brit, this is what you picture. Cookies. You're putting sausage gravy on peanut butter cookies? That's disgusting. That's not in any way appetizing. But it's, it's the same word. It just means two different things, right? If you're living in the U.S. and you tell someone you're going to ride a trolley downtown, you're probably picturing something like this. You're going you're gonna to be transported by this trolley from one location to the next. If you're in England you tell somebody you're riding a trolley downtown, they're, they're looking at you weird because they think you're riding one of these. <laughs> Could be a great ride, but that's, that's a little bit unorthodox, right? <laughs> this is a picture of French fries. Um, in England, they're called Chips. I was with Mike Jared. Uh, he just retired. Uh, Mike was in a restaurant with us, and he ordered fish and chips, chips. And, uh, and then he said, could I get a side, can I, can I get fries with that? And the waiter looked at him like, yeah, that's, that's the chips part, okay? That's the, because in England, th this is chips. Now, in America, when we think of chips, we think of this, <laughs> right? Some of you are way too young to even appreciate. I'm telling you, Ponch, come on. All right, no, you don't think of this. You're thinking this, potato chips, right? This is what we, but you can have one word, and it can mean two, two things in two cultures that are, that are existing today. Now, friends, this is a, a book in our Bible that was written thousands of years ago. And translators have tried their very best to bring this word forward into our language. But it's really difficult to do that sometimes because words don't always match up. So when we read that Adam has a helper made for him, oftentimes what we do is we, uh, we, we think, well, that, that's a person. I mean, Adam's here. He's the CEO, and he gets a helper, and that person serves Adam. Well, let's just step into the classroom here a little bit. And uh, look at that word. This is the word, the Hebrew word that's used there in Genesis uh, chapter 2 is this word, azer, spelled E-Z-E-R. Azer is used 21 times in the Old Testament. Uh, two times it's referred to women. Three times it's referred to countries who are allying together to go to war. The rest of the time, 16 times in the Old Testament, this word is used to describe someone else. And that person is God. Psalm 33, verse 20 says, We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Hosea, chapter 13, verse 9. You are about to be destroyed, O Israel. This is God talking. You are about to be destroyed, O Israel. Yes, by me, your only helper. Now, can, can you see this? It's a word. We, we go underneath man. But this is a word that's described most, a high percentage of the time, it's describing who God is. Now, here's a little theology pop quiz. Is God over man or is man over God? God over man, right? Because if, that's, if you hear something else being taught from this platform, that would be something you'd divide over, okay? <laughs> that, that, that would fall in that category. But what you see in the scriptures is this is nothing to do with who's in charge or who's at the top of the org chart. This is about relationship. 
This is about being allied. This word literally means a strong ally or a supporter or someone who comes alongside, much like God comes and rescues us. And, um, and so when it comes to this question of isn't Eve subordinate to Adam because she's the helper? No, that's, that's not the intent of what is being written here. In fact, even to drive the point a little bit further home, Genesis 3, as the consequences for sin are being described in the garden, Eve is told these words, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now here's what I want you to understand. Sin enters the world. There's consequences to sin. One of the consequences is that Adam is going to rule over Eve, which tells you that that was not the reality in the garden before sin entered the world, right? It's a consequence of the sin. And I've also got some good news for you, and the fact is the curse has been reversed. Sin no longer has the power of death over us. Death does not have the last word on us. Sin and, and, and shame and guilt, has, that's all been forgiven. The curse has been reversed, and that impacts our relationships with each other as well. So this question on is Eve subordinate to Adam because she's helper, you just you can't really go, you gotta, gotta know that word and make sure you're understanding what's being said there. But that prompts another question, actually from the same passage, and it's this. Are women secondary to men since Adam was created first? The idea has to do with seniority, or Adam's, he's, he's, he's the first one on the planet, okay? Which, um, the logic breaks down a little bit because animals were created before Adam, so is, are animals in charge? No. Um, but it's seriously, in, in the conversation, well, there's patriarchy in the Old Testament, and there's this pattern of the firstborn son getting a larger portion of the inheritance, and there's not much value placed on women. In fact, women aren't even educated uh, in, in those days. And, um, and patriarchy, I mean, that's there, but, it, but it's not, not in the garden. It's not there. And I also want you to note that God seemingly gets what he wants done and oftentimes he does this by working outside the constructs that we have put in place. So for example, he's pleased with Abel and not Cain. And Abel is not the firstborn. He chooses Jacob over Esau. And Esau is the firstborn. He goes into the pastures and finds a young shepherd boy named David that he's chosen to be king of Israel even though he has many older brothers that are in the house and Samuel's looking for who to anoint. He chooses Solomon over Adonijah. And you see this time and time again in how God works outside the constructs of patriarchy and doesn't allow birth order to keep him from choosing who he wants to choose. So who was there first uh, doesn't seem to matter. But, but if you study this topic at all, there's a very good argument that's made from 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we've got to address. And I want to read it to you. And, um, and, and we'll, we'll unpack 1 Timothy chapter 2 more in, in a few weeks. But listen to what's, what's said here. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. Why? For God made Adam first. And afterward, he made Eve and it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. Well, Steve, I mean, that seems pretty clear. I mean, you kind of made a joke about animals should be in charge. They were made first. But the Bible, in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, in the New Testament, says that Adam was made first, 
and, and Eve sinned. And, um, and in order to understand what's really going on there, you, you, again, we got to go back in the classroom. Because we read Adam was made first, and we automatically think that it means about the, the order of creation, that Adam was created first. If Paul wanted to say that Adam was created first, he would have used the Greek word create, which is the word katizo, K-T-I-Z-O. But when you dig into the word he does use, he doesn't use this word. He chooses to use another word, and he uses a word that's only in the New Testament one time. It's in classic Greek literature, so it helps us understand uh, this word. It's the word plazo, and I apologize in advance for my fantastic handwriting. Um, plazo, picture a lump of clay on the potter's wheel. Picture the potter giving shape to it. It can mean to fabricate, uh, it, it, but it also means to form and to shape. And Walter Kaiser, a renowned theologian, Kaiser um, helps us understand that this, this he's not, God Paul is not talking about creation order. He's actually talking about who was educated first. Okay? So let me just put Kaiser's quote up here. Uh, he says, How could Eve have been so easily duped unless she had previously been untaught? Adam had walked and talked with God in the garden during that sixth day. Thus, he had the educational and spiritual advantage of being formed first. Paul's argument is based on the order of education, not the orders of creation. And to help you kind of feel and see the continuity of what Paul is writing about in 1 Timothy chapter 2, what I want to do, I want to read the verse as it's written, and then I want to drop the word educationally formed versus just formed in the verse to help you feel how this actually gives greater continuity and harmony to what Paul is writing. So, 1 Timothy chapter 2, you find this in your Bibles. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let a woman teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly, for God formed Adam first, and afterward he formed Eve. Now, we'll, we'll add the word educationally in there. See, just listen for the continuity. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let a woman teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly, for God educationally formed Adam first, and afterward, he educationally formed Eve. Can you, can you just feel how that makes... I don't let a woman teach because she was... Now, there's something else going on there in Ephesus where Paul's writing. We'll unpack that in a couple weeks. But it's, it's just about educational formation. And just by going to the... You go, go back to the original languages, if Paul meant creation order, he would have used a different word. So, no, Eve is not subordinate to Adam because she's helper. And it isn't about seniority with God, as you, as, as, at least my take on it, as you, as you look at, at, uh, at, at Scripture. But a third question I want to put up here, and this question is a little bit more dramatic, and it's going to take me some time to, to help you understand why I would pose this question, and it's this. Are women spiritually inferior and dangerous to men because Eve fell into temptation and then tempted Adam to sin? This, this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 2 that I just read, you know, Adam was made first, Eve came on the scene second, and she was the one tempted, and she was the one that, that, through, that sin came to Adam. So is, 
Has she kind of come down a rung? Is she inferior, spiritually speaking? Is she more susceptible to temptation? Because that, that, that there's, there's some teaching on that. Um, and I would say it's on the extremes. But I think it's influenced even our thinking today. Let me just read some quotes uh, for you to sort of help you see uh, and understand this. Uh, a guy named Augustine of Hippo, he was a philosopher, Christian philosopher, theologian, well-known, uh, wrote a book called Confessions and City of God, which talks about city of God versus city of man. He's, he's highly regarded. Um, but this is what Augustine uh, says about men and women. He says, I fail to see what use women can be to man if one excludes the function of childbearing. And then you go forward to John Chrysostom. Now, by the way, this is a different day, different era, okay? And people are trying to think out their, the their theology. But theology has implications. Chrysostom, who was an early church father, he was the Archbishop of Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul, wrote many books. He was called the, the man with the golden mouth because he was an eloquent teacher and preacher. Um, and this is what Chrysostom wrote about men and women. He says, God maintained the order of each sex by dividing the business of life into two parts and assigned the necessary and beneficial aspects to the man and the less important inferior matters to the woman. And then you get introduced to a guy named Tertullian, who is not a character from Lord of the Rings. Tertullian is an early church father. He actually, he was one of the ones who helped shape the doctrine of the Trinity. He's a brilliant man uh, and, and an early church father. I want to read a quote from him, but I just want to, I just want to say up front to the women among us, this, this one stings, okay? Uh, this one stings, because this is what Tertullian wrote. He says, you women are the devil's gateway. You are the unsealer of that forbidden tree. You are the first deserter of the divine law. You are she who persecuted him who the devil was not vigilant enough to attack. You destroyed so easily God's image, man. On account of your punishment, that is death, even the Son of God had to die. That's a zinger. And that one's pretty, that's, 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 that's a, whoa, that one is. Now, that kind of thinking about between men and women, and again, I, Please, these are, it just goes to show you that you can get something so right. And, and then what feels like something, it's, it's, well, it's, it's pretty, that's pretty off base. But this teaching and this thinking, um, it wasn't isolated to one period in, in history or church history. Actually, that kind of teaching and thinking influenced art. And artists began painting things that depicted Eve as dangerous and susceptible to temptation and men should be very afraid. And, um, and it, it's not painted by artists who are at the fringe of society. It's painted by artists of people you know. Michelangelo, his painting in the Sistine Chapel of the fall in the Garden of Eden. It's, <laughs> it's a little different than the one on the screen, but it's for family viewing. Okay, so, but, but here's the point. Don't miss the point here, okay? Look, stick with me. Look, look at the tree. Look at the serpent. Notice that I, I had to put clothing on Satan because he has female anatomy. And notice that Satan has a woman's face. Notice that Adam is trying to fight Satan off. 
Notre Dame, Paris, France. There's a sculpture there, not with a balloon strategically placed. I want you to notice, again, you have Eve taking the bite of the fruit, and you have a woman's face that looks remarkably similar to that of Eve's on Satan. And just in case you, you're, you're missing here, we'll go one more here. I want you to see, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to help myself as I, I just, I had to put clothes on them. I want you to notice the serpent on the tree. And I want you to notice that the face on the serpent is the exact same face that's on Eve. Friends, what is being communicated by this? Not from the fringes of society, but from the center of society. I'll tell you what's being communicated. It's Eve's fault. And Eve looks remarkably similar to Satan. And that's being imaged from artists who work very closely with the church. And this idea that women are dangerous is brought forward. And can I just say this to you? Jesus was not afraid of women. Jesus had an extended conversation with a woman by himself at a well, a woman who had a sordid past. She was on husband number five. A spiritual conversation and a conversation with a Samaritan woman and Jews didn't talk to Samaritans and you, men didn't talk to women. He was breaking all the rules. Okay? Jesus didn't view the Samaritan woman as dangerous. He viewed her as a doorway, a gate to an opportunity because the, white, the fields are as white for harvest. The disciples are coming. They're going, whoa, what's going on here? What's he doing? And um, Jesus, a little bit later, he's having dinner and a prostitute comes in and she's weeping. Her tears are falling on Jesus' feet and she's washing his feet with her tears and wiping her feet, uh, his feet with her hair. People in the room are, are astonished. They're questioning whether he really is a true prophet. Because if he was a true prophet, he wouldn't let this happen. But Jesus wasn't afraid of women. He didn't consider women dangerous. And so he speaks words of grace to this woman. Jesus had women disciples. They, they, were, they, were not, they weren't part of the 12, but there were women disciples. Uh, and that was unusual on Jesus' day. Are women dangerous? Susceptible to temptation? It appears that Jesus didn't have a problem spending time with women. And I, I just, again, I'm not trying to paint an us versus them scenario, but what I'm trying to paint is that there are some things, some very drastic things that have been said and some paintings that have been drawn from the past that have implications on what we think about each other today. It has influenced our theologies and it has also influenced this, this between genders. Are, are we okay? And, and even today, culturally, the tension is there. It's palpable. And I want to say that oftentimes what it does is it distorts our view of who God is because if you're not careful, you think that God prefers men over women. And again, if you're not careful, you might find yourself in a place where you overlook people who are gifted and called, but you dismiss them simply because of gender. And let me just say this. A lot of years ago when John Stumble was lead pastor of St. Alliance Church, 
He got deathly ill, almost died. We rallied and prayed, and, and John recovered, but he didn't recover to the point where he felt like he could lead again. And the church board went on a search for a new pastor. And I just want to say to you that there was, there was a person among us who was incredibly gifted, uh, great st strategic mind, great leadership, um, and, um, and that person was Barbara Fletcher. And, and if the board had chosen her to lead, I would have gladly and joyfully followed her lead. But our, our denomination is working this all out right now and asking this question about, so what roles can women be in? And we didn't, our board acted within the, the, the parameters of what our denominational guidelines are, and we don't want to be rebellious with that. We want to, we want to be people who lead change. Um, but I just, I just, I mean, our, our board did, did the right thing in, in that time, but I just want you to know that, that if they chose Barbara Fletcher, I would have been all in. And you got me. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I, let me just say this, that I feel very called to this place. I feel, I feel a tremendous calling to this place. And, and our, our board, I, I feel, believes in our staff, believes and supports me. I feel so blessed to have the board we have. But oftentimes what happens is we overlooked call people. And I'm not saying our, our board overlooked Barb. I'm just saying that was the constructs of what we were working in. Church, I'm, I'm first pastoring in, in Kelso, Washington. Uh, a woman named Ann comes, and she's going to help us figure out how to do spiritual gifts inventories. And so I say, well, why don't you take it first, and let's talk about see if it worked. She takes the spiritual gifts inventory. It comes out her gifts are shepherding, nurturing, mercy, and caring. And I look at her and I said, Ann, you're a pastor. And tears start running down her face. Turns out she's known for a long time that she's had this pastor gift, but no place to live it out. And so this is what happens. And friends, I don't want to oversimplify a very complex conversation. I'm just giving you a perspective and I'm telling you why that perspective. There's, there's smart people on both sides, people that, that understand that they, they both value Scripture. Our interests are very much the same. But I want to say that, that uh, on this one, we, we lean more, on, I mean, as a church, we lean more on the egalitarian side. And I'm trying to explain why. Because it seems like Scripture's saying one thing, but, but actually there's, I think there's more to the story. And... And I, I want to close um, by doing this. I want to invite um, every woman to stand in the room. I invite you to stand. And I want to say some things to you. You have been made in the image of God. You have been made in the image of God And you were created to reflect God's glory. You're made in the image of God. And you were created to represent Christ, reflect God to the world. And the church needs you. And the church cannot fully reflect who God is without you. And the second thing I would say is this. Many of you have been treated as inferior 
in the kingdom of God. And I don't care where you fall on this argument. I, I know that there are, are people who fall more complementarian, and they would agree that that was to be treated in a demeaning and devaluing way was wrong. And some of you have words that have been spoken over you. And some of you have been, your, your gifts have been questioned. And I just want to say, as a man, on behalf of men, and I realize not all men are here, so I'm just saying, for, for me, on behalf of men, I ask for your forgiveness. Because those words should not have been spoken. Not in that way. Not with that tone. As lead pastor of Salem Lights Church, I bless you and I release you in all your femininity to be who God has called you to be in Christ Jesus. Do not be afraid. You can have a seat. Now, Men, I want men to stand. Guys, I want you to stand. Because here's the deal. You hear a talk like that, and you hear words of blessing like that, and you see what's happening in culture, and, and, and you can feel demeaned. You can feel, feel devalued, and that would be a huge mistake. Massive mistake. Because you have been made in the image of God. And you were created to reflect God's glory. And the church needs you fully engaged. And the church cannot fully reflect who God is without you. And you and I have enjoyed a place, a position, a privilege, and position in the church. And I bless you to be healers, even when you hold to different opinions. I bless you to be healers. And as God allows, I bless you with the wisdom and, and the understanding of the, the appropriate nature of using your voice to empower your sisters in Christ. And for you to understand that you, who you are in Christ, that you are inferior to no one and nor are you superior to anyone. God has made you and I call you to embrace all your masculinity. And I would say to you, do not be ashamed. Guys, don't be ashamed of how God's made you. He made you on purpose for a purpose. And I want all of us to stand. And I want to speak blessing over all of us. So, Lord, we're your family. Oh, sometimes we're dysfunctional. <laughs> but you love us. Lord, we, we struggle. We want to get it right. 
And even when we think differently, we want to just make sure we love one another. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here who's troubled by something I said, I just I just pray for grace, and I ask, I pray for conversation, and and I pray for an unleashing. You've given us an incredible mission, and I think you want your whole family involved in that mission. So I pray that your grace and your peace would ex- be experienced between us as we relate to one another. I pray that, Lord, our sisters in Christ would not have fear of acceptance and place. I pray that brothers in Christ would have no shame in who you've called them to be and that we could represent you well as we love one another and live out all that you've called us to be. We pray this in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance. 